0: Okay, you should put it closer to me, because I'm going to be doing all the talking. (laughs) Welcome to a new episode of All The Talking Podcast. This is Federico Ugi, drummer, and you're about to hear the second part of the interview with the music educator, composer, bass player, Ed Schuller.
1: And then, but suddenly I got the jazz bug, because I had some other friends. And these were sort of the you know the outcast type dudes, you know. And none of this, none we, of this influence or suggestion came from your family. Not really. I, I, but, but once it, the once it started, because I was already into the most progressive of rock, you know, Frank Zappa, you know, uh, Jimi Hendrix, Band of Gypsies, and so it wasn't that big a deal to go right into Late Train, and to hear Late Train because of the same guitar screaming and the you know the saxophone you know like and i could feel it to me it was like the cry the cry of and it moved me and i became really and it was like a transition you know i moved into jazz and like totally and then as mostly it was pretty 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 you know avant-garde type stuff uh but i slowly you know you know got more into it and got become obsessed with it And, and of course turned out wow what a thing to be into because of my father now i have everything in my finger i've got the greatest record collection anyone could ever hope for i mean everything i got every record that you hear about a guy i had five records of that guy cecil taylor to Louis armstrong you know uh all every kind of you know classical music all kinds of you know whatever what do you want you want to hear stravinsky you want to hear bartok you want to hear uh beethoven you know, it's all there, everything, all the scores. So it was like a, I used, used to skip school, me and my friends, and we'd just stay in my uh, that room and study stuff and listen to music. And then in, in a way I, I so I finished, I didn't finish high school. I, I managed to get into the Noon Conservatory a year early, just barely. Because now I was a music fanatic. I was just playing. I, that's all I did. And I was just, that's all. And I went. I got into the Newton Conservatory a year early on the grounds that I would make up the credits. And graduate from high school, none of which I ever did, and and in the end I didn't even finish uh, the conservatory because I ended up going on the road with Pat Martino, and missed a whole semester. So they kind of said, "Well, you can come back next year," but <laughs> yeah. I never did. So that's that. But uh, yeah, so that's how it started. But I, I'm how I got into playing bass is is the story in the, in itself because. When I was 15, in that high school, it was a very well-equipped high school, but they had two things you could do. You could be in the string orchestra that this guy, Mr. Levinson ran, or you could be in the the school marching band. And because I was getting pretty good at clarinet, the guy wanted me to be in the marching band. Now, this, old, this young hippie wasn't gonna go for that. I wasn't gonna wear no uniforms and march around on Saturday for stupid football games. I mean, my God. This is not my thing, baby. So I I, I just, uh, and so, but I didn't know what else to do because I couldn't procrastinate. They were going to put me on third clarinet pretty soon. I was good enough. So so the guy, but the guy, the other guy, Mr. Levinson, he goes to me, he says, because I was in the music room all the time, so he says, you know, I, we, we, would you... Think, think about wanting to play bass in our orchestra because we, we don't have any we only have one bass player and um, and you know, this thing meets at eight in the morning, by the way, but um, and I was completely not into it. no. And then I hang out with my friends, these jazz guys, and I just happen to mention it and they and they go, "Oh man, you've gotta do that. We need a bass player. that's what we need. So your sad ass guitar player, forget that man. You know, we need a bass player and uh, and you, you know, we have to, you know, you gotta say yes. And they and I'm kidding, no, I don't wanna carry around that big thing and. You think geez. it's
0: common, like, for bass players to this come from a different instrument like. I don't know, and, like, I, I, don't know.
1: I don't know what it is, but all I know is that these kids, They, I mean, these guys, my my friends here finally convinced me. So I went back on Monday and I said, okay, uh, I'll I'll check it out, all right, I'll do it. So it gets, gets me the bass, and I just grab it. And the first thing I do is hit the low E, you know, pizzicato, like, big. Boom. And, like, that was the moment I knew what I was going to do for the rest of my life. It was crazy. It was the outest, weirdest thing I've ever... Everything went receded, like one of those movies, you know. Like, I was like, I, you can't see my face, but I'm, whoa! You know, the, you know, and I, I... I, that was it, man. And and it was a bright move because, I mean, within f- two weeks, I was already playing with, I was already played my first session with somebody, you know, I mean, and I did a, not so long after that, I did a my a gig at a college. I mean, it's actually, my brother found a tape of it. It's pretty hilarious. But but then I started playing a lot. You're playing with heavy guys, you know. You know, I learned more from the students. But the teacher there was Jackie Byard. George Russell was there. They didn't have a bass teacher, so I studied with the guy in a Boston Symphony. Um, but uh, you know, I was on my own. I was I was learning everything. I was I started doing club dates. You know what they call club date? up there they call them general, GB general business. You know, like for weddings and things like that. You know, um, bar mitzvahs. So you know, and I learned all. And I learned how to. My ear, you know, it was a great training for the ear because I don't know any of these tunes. You know, these old guys play these tunes. And uh, they just, and how they give you the key. And I just used my ear and play. And they thought I was a genius, you know, because I'd get half the half the chords right. Because most of these bass players were so terrible in those days. They, they were just fakers. They called them fakers because they had no idea. They just they just put the bass tone all the way up so you couldn't really hear the note. It was and you know, I you know, it really, times have changed. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Um, now they don't even use bass players anyway. But uh, so it's always a whole music environment. And Charles Mingus, I listened to you know Stanley Clark, Scott Lafero, uh Paul Chambers, you know Oscar Pettifer. You know, I was I I was studying all these guys, and all, of course other musicians. You know, I was studying. I I didn't. I took off solos. I took off, you know, Parker Charlie Parker solos and Bud Powell solos, and, yeah, and I learned how to play, just by doing that. You know, I didn't really learn. You don't learn that shit in school. I mean, I don't know. I they teach that now, but in Berkeley and stuff in all these schools. But uh, I was I learned all that by myself and just by listening to records. And you know what? The thing is, we miss one of the things that really changed in those days. We had vinyl but you had these you know you had the machine the phonograph and uh, the thing is you could slow it down you slow it and it was roughly half the speed and half the pitch but you could figure out what the notes were for that fast passage you can't do that anymore digi- i mean unless you have some real high tech stuff you know you know all this digital stuff i don't know
0: man but basically like the advantage of i mean you you, you it was a diff- the the big difference that from what I understand is like not just uh of course you couldn't hang out in the 70s with the uh, with Charlie Parker but the other guys that were alive they were accessible that was the big difference. Oh, yeah but it's yeah, not yeah. just a matter of you yeah, know absolutely. digital versus vinyl it's the yeah. fact that you studied you know Mingus and Mingus was actually you could go to a club and, and meet this guy. well
1: I actually did meet him and I there was an optimism there was you know We had, uh, despite, you know, of course there was bad stuff going on. There's always is. But it was like, we're going in the, and then we're looking forward to the 21st century. Boom. I moved back to New York in 1999, 2000. First there was the Y2K freak out. Everybody thought that was gonna be the end of the world. And then, then uh, the lovely President Bush, 9/11 9/11 changed it. Cha- put the world. It pivoted. It, it it off its axis. Everything changed after that. Everything, uh, and 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 we're still feeling the effect. I mean, this is like everything became another thing. there was no more naivety. No, I mean, hope dwindled fast. Like, and then we, when we now, now we're dealing with this crazy world of you know terrorism and religious fanatics and and all kinds of this wasn't really happening in the 90s it was like it was like okay I like I said there were bad things but I felt really happy in those times and you know I was making a living I was playing all this great music I mean it, I couldn't believe and I was you know I was also on tour you know with Joe Lovano and other cats you know Lee Konitz and different people, I, you know, I was playing with um, lots of different people and, you know, making a living and it was all great. It was like, and, you know, the beginning of the twenty, you know, 2000s, you know, kind of was okay, but slowly, slowly, slowly things got more complicated, things got more weird, things got more Traveling became more and more difficult, especially with the base. With right? the base, yeah, exactly. You know, after a while, it became impossible to play. You know, I, they want to charge you thousands of dollars. To you must
0: have had some crazy adventures. Oh, I, I have, I have, I have, like I have all
1: kinds of stuff. That'll. You've got another five hours. I can just talk about bass stories. But uh, no, I mean, you know, the, the, so you know, and and I've noticed it and also the whole psyche of the world. You know, everybody got into their, you know, you know, come along with the phones and the smartphones and the platforms and the, you know, and, and you know, Facebook and I mean there was all these other things before that. No, nobody remembers anything anymore. I and mean, people don't even know what a CD is anymore. You know, so <coughs> I don't know. I mean, call me, I just I can't. I I don't like I don't like. I, I I used to say I like change, but now I I don't. I say I don't like change because change always man. You know, puts you on edge. You know, you're not ready for it, man. You're not. You know why? Why we have to? Why? And who decides these things? Can not I have a choice at least? I mean, uh, you know, uh, this is what I feel, and so, and the, and we're all com- completely crazy now. It's a security is everywhere. You can't. They know where everyone is. It wasn't like that in the It wasn't like that in the '70s. I mean. There wasn't like this kind of surveillance of everything, you know, I mean, you know, there was all kinds of bad guys and stuff, but that's what, but you know, you weren't, look, we, everywhere we go, somebody knows where we are. Everywhere we, everything we buy, somebody knows what, that, that data is out there. I mean, am I the only one who finds that creepy? I mean, I, I, I don't like it. I personally don't like it. I don't like the world right now, personally. I know there's a lot of and I know I recognize there's a lot of good things and there's a lot of great people too and I understand that. But uh but in general this we have we just all we have is this crazy technology and we don't seem to know anything we're losing humanity by the by the by the human <laughs> was I don't it know before
0: I, social media was actually networking among musicians easier.
1: I would say so. I mean, not maybe not, okay. I, I don't know, it depends what you're into. But if you were on the scene, you you know, you didn't, I mean, you, you, yeah, network, if you're like, can, you know, if you don't mind meeting people and actually going, you know, you go to gigs and talk to, and you know, people hear you play, and then they hire you, or maybe that still happens. But uh, I don't, not like it used to, not like, not like that. And, and, you know, people are now, there's all these clicks, you know, it's like, man, you're either, you're in the f- what, free school thing, which is, you know, that's where you make zero money. Um, or you're into like, there's these guys, you know, they just, that's it. The world ended in 1955, you know, there, there was a, there was a mood or a, a, a yearning that is very different than what it is today you know people are worried about their yeah i don't know they're worried about something else than music and they you know music to in those days it was all about the struggle and the music and and how you know so you had a certain camaraderie with people like a real
0: human contact you you are now a jazz bass player at the conservatory start you know work in uh, starting getting calls, right? Right. And uh, who, who do you play with those days? Somehow we ended up going down to Philadelphia and auditioning for uh,
1: Pat Martino, fantastic guitar player. And all the rec- music I'd heard of his was like this very swinging kind of organ trio type stuff. Really good though. Really like super badass swing. And uh, so I you know went down there with my acoustic bass and I auditioned and, Lo and behold, I got the gig. So, but then I had to keep going down to Philadelphia to rehearse, and that turned out to be not quite what I what I'd bargained for because uh, the, this was the time of you know where you know regular jazz was not no now we're all going into fusion you know Weather Report it just hit and in fact Pat Martino's manager was the former manager of Weather Report. The guy wanted us to play fusion and, and this whole, this idea of we're going to be great stars and we're going to, you know, it was completely, I mean, I, I was young. I, what do I know? And it was something, I, but I started to figure something strange about this whole thing. And, uh, but anyway, we, yeah, we, he he came up with some music that was, you know, tried to play fusion, but he, he really, you know, he's such a jazz guy. It was really hard for him to just, you know do this and then but of course the whole point you know it was all superficial like okay well but as loud as we have big amps and are loud this was like see i was so young i didn't know you know i was actually had to pay for my own hotel rooms i was really getting terrible money and i i, I realized that somehow i was a, and then when finally when i was in cleveland i took a gig with actually joe lovano we we were you know, we kind of knew each other, but he was in—he's from Cleveland. He was there at that time, and he sa- asked me if I was interested in doing a gig in the afternoon, like a, because we were playing at the Salty Dog at night. But I was free in the afternoon. He said, "Yeah, sure, man. I'd love to. You know, get to do something else, man. And this crazy shit." And uh, and then the the whole thing—I played the gig, and then the, the manager found out, and he and he like go he comes, he says, "How dare you play with another band without asking my permission?" And I'm like, huh, what, huh, you know, yo, motherfucker, I'm, I quit, you know, I'm a little hothead motherfucker, you know, I I don't know what I said, something like that. (laughs) It wasn't pretty. I learned a lot in those days. I learned about ego and about what can go wrong and, in the emotions and, you know, and I had these love affairs and And so, uh, you know, but eventually I, I moved into the city and, and, uh. That was another story. I lived. A, I had a loft down on South Street, and that went crazy. And I lived a few other places. And then I finally ended up on Thirteenth Street between First and Second Avenue. But you know, I was working all the time, and I was working with Jackie Byard. Jackie Byard was my had been my mentor. You know, he he's one of the guys that hired me in the, early in the days. And uh, you know, my father helped me too a few times. You know, got me a job with the New York Philharmonic chamber players you know, playing some jazz-related pieces, and things like that, you know, I mean, and I was working, you know, I was actually working all the time, you know, but living in those days was really a (laughs) challenge, it was, that was a wild time in the 70s, Um, crime went rampant, my next-door neighbor was shot, there was gangs, there was muggings, my girlfriend got mugged, and had to convince the guy not to rape her, and you know, and I almost walked in on, you know, a lot of t- really long, bizarre stories, and East Village was really crazy in those days, it was really nice in a way, it was like, it wasn't all yuppified like it is now.
0: I mean, just a, a, imagine a society, I, you know, yeah, for well, people we're, like us grew, grew up without the internet, people were actually, yeah, yeah. you know, going out, and that, and that was, mean. you know,
1: remember, that was the time of the punk thing, revolution, and and then the '80s started, and that's when I, you know, I, I was playing with Tim Byrne and and some other people, and uh, that's how I met Paul Motion. And then eventually I started playing with Paul Motion. Well, you know, but I already knew all these guys, Joe Lovano and Billy Drews, and you know, I I knew all these guys, Kenny Warner. I was playing with him a lot, and uh, it's all kinds of, you know, it just seemed like there were
0: lots of gigs around. you know? I mean, you would meet people at the gig. People were shocked. Yeah, up to see yeah, yeah. One thing and,
1: leads to another. Mm. Sometimes you would take a gig, don't pay that much, but you know that who knows might be there. And, you know, so that's the kind of idea, you know, you know about that. You know, so you, and suddenly you, you know, you might, that leads to another thing and another thing. And, you know, you suddenly, you know, the phone is ringing off the hook sometimes, man. You know, I, I had to turn down gigs. Cause I couldn't make it, you know, I was doing, also I'd started getting into the club date business, going out to Long Island. I would do like four or five gigs a weekend. Some of the gigs I would take, I was such a maniac, I would take a gig that there was no way I could make it on time, but I'd take it anyway. You know, I'd make like sometimes, you know, uh, 700, $800 a weekend,
0: you know, in those days, of course. No, we
1: want to hear a good-
0: And rent was like,
1: yeah, the rent was three hundred and
0: fifty bucks or something. So you within a, a a weekend you could wait. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't
1: was all easy street, but you know, I, you know, to, there were a lot of other things going on. But one of the best paying gigs I ever had was the craziest. You know, imagine this: guy calls me up. I knew this guy a little bit, not very well. He's, he's a drummer or something, and he said, "Hey, uh, I got a gig for you, man." I, I said, "What kind of gig is this?" He says, "It's a Russian gig." I said, what do you mean a Russian gig? He says, well, yeah, it's in, you know, you know, you got to go down in the L- Little Odessa, you know, d- down almost to Coney, you know, Coney Island out there. I says, okay, well, what do you mean? What do I got to do? He says, well, the bass player, our bass player, he, he can't make it, He's, you know. So he says, oh, you know, you I says, well, what do you do? He says, you know, Russian songs. I says, I don't know any Russian songs. He says, it doesn't matter. You you just come and it's just all easy stuff you know you don't doesn't matter, and and so, it says, you know just dress up and wear a suit and you know jacket tie everything's cool, so I go to this place and it's the most bizarre place like this like you might walk right into the Soviet Union huge hall with these long tables and these matronly ladies with big glasses, and it dawned on me soon after a while that they that those glasses were all filled with vodka, and and you know all these guys and. And, they, and, you know, we start these guys, these real Russian dudes, and they're playing this music with these ukulele things and stuff. And I, and I got to play um, bass with that. You know, it's all boom, 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 boom. You know, pretty much. Polka. Yeah, polka stuff. It's like a polka. That's basically it. But, boy. And so we do that, we do that, and then, then they start getting drunk and crazy, and they, they do this thing where they, they somehow wrap money up in a certain way, and then they throw it at the stage. And it all unravels as it's being thrown, so like all kinds of money is on the stage, like and and this gig was really long, it wouldn't end. These people don't stop, and 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 I mean I was almost I almost passed out at the end, man. You know, and it's on and on. You know, nothing, no variation. You know, it's G and C are the keys, a couple of A's or something, I don't know, and and. And then finally, you know, the gig is over. And I'm like, you know, I, I think I'm ready. To, you know, I'm, I don't think I could make it home. You know, I'm like ready to. I mean, I think we made $700, you know, that, including what the gig actually paid, which was 150 or something.
0: You are listening to all the talking podcasts. This is a series of interviews with musicians and interesting people from New York and from around the world. What you just heard is the second part of the interview with bass player Ed Schuller. The third part will be posted in the next few weeks. Please stay tuned and thanks for listening.